0: All right, Trinity Church, how you doing? Good. Happy Sunday to you. Great to see you today. want to welcome you, especially if you're a guest with us today for your first time. Welcome. Thank you for making Trinity Church part of your weekend and a very crazy weekend. We have Super Bowl going on today, a lot of stuff. We're really glad that you're here. I missed you guys. I was away from you last weekend and really, really glad to be back. And we're going to dive in today. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to James chapter 1. We're continuing in a series called 2020, Clarity When You Need It Most. And what we're walking through is this sequence of of things that James is just helping bring light to. We've said from the very beginning, James is not out to solve these problems as much as he's to give you perspective. He wants to bring truth into the equation. So especially when you're going through a really challenging time, the truth you've heard before can now serve a purpose in the midst of the challenge that you're in. And so we've been walking through. If you have a set of notes today, you can get those out. Be mindful. If you're in a home group, those notes are going to be kind of your discussion starter for this week. And so just want to make sure you have those, and they're connected right to our message notes. We began this series the very first week talking about purposeful pain. Is there any at all significance, meaning in the painful things that God allows into my life? And we found, yes, God is developing growth and perseverance through it. The second week, we talked about sincere wisdom and the idea that when we ask God for clarity, for help in the midst of what we're going through, we do it preloaded with the answer of yes. God, whatever you're showing me is now this truth, this next step. I come at it already ready to say yes to what that is. The next week, we talked about genuine identity and the idea that we are defined ourselves in whose we are. And the fact that that's a God-reliable understanding of our standing versus an ever-changing, totally unreliable view of our status. The next week, we talked about good suffering. Last week, when Rick was here, what a great job he did. I got to watch the message this week. and what Just a great overview of the first 12 verses of James, but really drove it home to the idea that it is worth it. Following jesus through the midst of the storm. It is worth it because there is the hope of heaven There is a crown of righteousness that he's promised to us as we continue to follow him So that's kind of where we've been today We like larry said we walk into this little bit of a different water We'll be able to kind of explain the connection in a minute, but we walk into this idea of temptation 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 is fascinating because it's just another source of pain this time, what I call self inflicted pain, where trials bring pain into our lives kind of from the outside. We'll find out today that the pain that temptation and following it brings is a kind that comes from within. We're going to talk today about the who of temptation, about the, the what, what's the strategy. And then lastly, we'll talk about the end game. What is temptation trying to do with us? And our hope today is this, is gaining perspective. We would be, I think today would fail if all we did was take a clinical look at temptation. So as you'll see, as we walk through it, we're going to try to get very real and very honest with the things that you specifically, that I specifically give into and hopefully make something that we can be helpful with for the week to come. Take a look at this picture. This is kind of where it begins today. This is a, a beautiful, out-of-the-way, no one was there, obviously, lake in Oregon. We went up to visit family and friends, or friends, I guess, two and a half summers ago, or two and half years ago, in the summer of 14. And as we were there, we were staying at this, um, I, I wouldn't say beach house, because in Oregon, no one calls it the beach, they call it the coast, because the water never gets warmer than 55 degrees and no one ever gets in it. And we just look at waves rolling, but I just don't even get it. I can't, Southern California mind doesn't work in Oregon. So we're at this nice home. and, And then a part of one of the days, our friend Jeff said, Hey, there's a lake not far from here. Do you and Jackson want to go fishing? Now you have to understand that throughout the course of parenting, there are a lot of things that I've been able to do with Jackson and be able to, and with my girls and and, and just have a shared experience and teach them in. But fishing was not one of those. So Jackson's like 16, 17 years old, never been fishing before. So that's a dad fail, I admit, okay? And and yet I'm the king of fishing because I think I'd been all but three times. So I don't know how to fish. Jackson never been. We're like, sure, let, let's do it. So we go to this lake. That's the only other guy on the water. It was beautiful, very little, small. Uh, they just stocked the fish with the lake with fish. And uh, Jeff says, so here, so he puts us in this little aluminum boat, little rowboat, no problem. We kind of go out to the middle of the lake. Jeff, our friend is in this kind of funky uh, waiter thing. That's almost like his own personal floaty is what he was in. And so he's like, I'm going to set you guys up, get you ready in the lake. And then I'm going to go over to this other area and I'm going to do some fishing in a part of the lake I haven't been to. So we're looking at him like, you're going to leave us. He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, great. Okay. So we're out in this boat. He gets us all set up. We have our, our rod and our reel. We have our hook. He, we put the bait on the hook. And then he says, all right, I'll, just let me know if you need anything. That's about what he left us with. So I look at Jackson. He looks at me and I go, "Huh? I don't know. Let's try. So we throw throw the, the um, lure in the water and we're sitting there. It couldn't have been more than 60 seconds. And both of us have this tug thing going on. And he's looking at me. He's like, dad, there's a living thing on the other end of this. And I'm like, I know. What are we going to do? So Jeff would tell us later when we got back with the family, he said, you know, I really, from a distance watching you guys, you look like you had it all together. You were out in this boat, dropped your lines in. You guys looked like you were just absolutely pros until you started yelling like girls once you had fish on the end. (laughs) Because what Jeff hadn't told us to do is what do you do? You know, when you get them, I knew enough to reel in, but then I bring this floppy fish into the boat and we're both looking at each other like, I'm not touching that. What do you, now what do you do? You know, so you have this floppy fish going on. Neither of us know how to get the hook out, the whole business. So Jeff, Jeff, he comes over, makes his way, finally helps us out. As you can tell in the next picture, we caught our limit that day. They just stocked it. So it didn't take a lot of uh, prowess to do this. Um, but the interesting thing is, As even incredibly bumbling, um, novice fishermen, it's not hard to catch fish when you have the right bait and there's a whole lot of them. At the end of the day, that's what they looked like and they made for a great meal. The interesting thing that we'll find today in our text, when we follow the bait and the hook of temptation, that's where we end up and they look really great on aluminum foil when they're not you, Right? So Bill was gracious enough to help me find a pole. This is from Tim and He let us borrow this. Now, you could tell this is not the pole you take out on the little lake in Oregon, right? This is the one you take deep sea fishing. And so um, we're going to walk out a little bit. You guys, I'm not going to hit you intentionally, okay? <laughs> so you kind of know, know that. But but when when Bill brought this to me, I thought, well, that's interesting. That's a fish. You know, I mean, I was thinking of a lure as something shiny. Something that was, you know, like, you know, looked like something shiny. Yeah, not a fish. And, and then when we looked at it, though, we thought about it. And we thought, well, that's an interesting way. Even the parallel in our own lives. Like, obviously, when you're deep sea fishing, this is the way to catch a fish out in the open water. Interestingly enough for us as well, uh, we actually often get snagged by other people. Don't we? So not always shiny things, but even other people become the temptation to us. So if you look at this lure, it's got four hooks on it. I put some um, duct tape on them. So if they do hit you, they won't hurt bad. Okay. (laughs) But they are pretty sharp. I tried. I found out. Um, But when you think of this lure, what's fascinating about the language today that we're going to look at in the book of James, James is using very obvious hunting terms to connect dots about how temptation works in our life. And so there was no easier way than doing this. And the interesting thing about temptation, the interesting thing about fishing, like we said, you'd never use this pole and this bait in a little lake in Oregon. And conversely, you would never use that little rod and reel and that kind of bait out in the open water. Different bait for different fish. And as we look at this today, what we're going to find out is, God, what are the things in our lives that keep baiting us and keep... Sending us pulling us away from where you've said is safe out into the open water And the interesting thing is this this rod and reel They might be fine out in the open water, but and even with this lure But the problem is at the end of the day this has four hooks for a reason And the interesting thing is that any time that you go fishing um, You're not going to have a whole lot of success With just a hook What you need is a good bait and The interesting thing is, as we'll look today and look into this passage, true successful fishing happens when you not only have a hook, but when you hide it well in the bait. If the fish can see something shiny, you're smart enough to know, I'm going to stay away from that one. But when you hide the hook well, fish just thinks it's getting lunch. Interestingly enough, temptation in our life, so many times, the bait looks really, really good. And the problem is it so well hides the hook, but the hook's always there. So we're going to dive in today. From the very beginning, we've kind of come up with in our notes on a weekly basis, this kind of now what statement, now what meaning, what are we supposed to do with this this week? And we'll begin with that to kind of get our minds thinking the right way. Be aware that it's your own sinful desires, not God, that tempt you and the best response from them is to swim away. Number one in your notes today, the source of temptation is never God. Source of temptation is never God. James is going to make a very emphatic, very strong point right out of the gate from our passage today. We're in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. It says this When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. I think it's very powerful the way this verse begins. It doesn't say if you're tempted, it says when. We know this our life experience has proven to us that temptation is not an if issue in your life in my life It's simply a when, Simply a how but it's going to happen. It's going to keep happening And that's part of what it is We'll talk today a little bit about the reality of living on a fallen planet and in a broken world There are things that look really good. They're really good bait, but they have hidden within them a lot of hooks And the reality is there's always consequences. There's always destruction waiting on the other side So what James wants us to know is from the very, very beginning, and I love he just talks to something very consistent with yours and my experience, when tempted, don't assume, don't fill in the blank, don't postulate that God is somehow connected to this. Because why? God is not tempted by evil, nor can he tempt anyone. This is completely contrary to the character of God. Now what we did, remember in our very first week together, we found a very... Very curious idea that back in James one verse two consider pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. That word trials, the Greek word parea, is the very same word we find here, but very obviously translated differently, called temptation. So what we did then is we asked the question: Well, then how would you ever know? How would you know the difference if, if you're in a trial versus in your in, in something that's a temptation? And what we found then, and what we reiterate today, it's all based on the source. Look at the notes, It says the very same blank I had you fill in week one. God introduces trials for your growth, but your fleshly lusts bait you with temptation for your destruction. Trials for the purpose of growth, they come from God. Temptation baits you for your destruction. And we'll talk today a little bit about then if it's not God who's the source, then who is it? Well, interestingly enough, you might have even used this phrase before. You've definitely heard other people use it. They'll say, well, the devil made me do it right? You've heard that often. Well, the devil made me do it. And and obviously the doing it, whatever that is, is something wrong and sinful is the inference. And the interesting thing is, as we find today, scripturally speaking, of all the different names that God assigns and God uses to describe Satan, he definitely uses this kind of terminology. Call Satan the deceiver, call Satan the tempter. Look here, 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, for this reason, is Paul writing that church, for this reason, when I could endure it no longer about your faith, watch, for fear that the tempter, reference to Satan, might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So so among other things, Paul's making clear that Satan is not only one who tempts, but you could even call him that. It's like a title, he's a tempter. Here's the fascinating thing. James chapter one, absolutely no reference to Satan at all. James 1 is not talking about the devil making you do anything. And obviously, let's rephrase that. The devil never makes you do anything. We'll talk today, you can be tempted, but the choice is always yours. So this is not about Satan's influence in your life. This part we'll look at today is all about a different source of temptation. Where does temptation come from? And what we're going to find is, number one, we found it beginning in our notes today. It's not, not an ever from God, but the interesting thing is we're going to find it's actually from you. Number two, in your notes, the source and strategy of temptation is connected to your own sinful desires. The source and strategy of temptation is connected to your own sinful desires. Next verse, James 1, 14, but each person, each one is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed, tempted by their own e- and dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So here's the source temptation is not something that comes from the outside But temptation originates from the inside And what we're saying is this we live on a fallen planet We live in a place that sin is having a degree of rule Not just outside of us in our culture and in our world But interior in you and i'm not telling you something new The fact that you have a nature that bends that is broken and that wants what god doesn't want Right? That's kind of how we naturally keep rolling. God, initially as I come into the world, I want the things you hate. I have a great conflict inside. I want the things you hate. But the things I want are, are things that have nothing to do with you and actually continue to pull me away from you. James is going to say, let's talk about the origination. Talk about the source of where temptation comes from. And it's playing to something latent within your own self. James is going to utilize two very powerful word pictures, and the first of which is this hunting idea, kind of using the pole as an example. And by the way, isn't it funny? It's funny that when you, you, know, when you go hunting, right? You know, I'm going to go, go kill animals, you know, and I'm not making a pun at that or a hit. That's great. But it's interesting that when you go fishing, you never say you were going hunting. It sounds less grisly, I think. I'm just going to go fish, you know, hang out with them. Catch them on my hook and eat them for lunch. You know, that's hunting just for the, just for clarity, right? You're, you're, you're hunting when you fish, just so you know. So that's our example today. It's our image. And it's very, very clear in the Greek language of what's going on and what we face. What I want to do, I've said it earlier today. I really think today will be a waste of your time, of my time. If all we walk away with, of all we walk away with is a clinical understanding of temptation, I don't want to keep it in the world of theory. I want to get down to this real place where we live. And one of the first things to understand is this. One of the real challenges that we face in a community, and I don't mean in a community like Redlands or Yukaipa or Highland. I mean like a community of Jesus followers. One of the biggest challenges that we face is that you're tempted, even though kind of all of us under the umbrella of humanity are tempted in relatively similar ways, the specifics of temptation, though, are that you're tempted in some unique ways to me. And what that does is it, it brings a lack of empathy. You could be tempted in different ways than I am simply because we have a different gender. You could be tempted in different ways because, than I am because we have different experiences in our past. You could be tempted in different ways just because of the different environment that you live or work in, whatever it may be. We have some things that, here's the point, when I look at you, and you not only are tempted to sin, but then you do it, there are things I will look at and go, why don't you just stop? Don't do that. You know that by engaging X, it's going to lead to a destructive path. What is your problem? And the moment that those thoughts or those words are coming out of my mouth while I'm looking out the window at your issues, I need to look in the mirror at my own and go, Todd, if it's so easy, why don't you stop? With all the stuff that you keep giving sway to. And the fact that our types of temptations are different often create a lack of empathy. A lack of empathy in a marriage. A lack of empathy in a family. A lack of empathy in a home group. A lack of empathy on the job. Whatever it may be. I I don't struggle with that. We all know it's silly and foolish that you keep doing it. Just stop. And if it were that easy, can I tell you, I know they already would have. Here's how I know because if it were that easy, I know you would have So temptation has an interesting way of not just making a break in us Vertically with god when we give into it But even horizontally with others when we don't have empathy for what they go through And the reality keeps coming back to this God I at my core I want the things that you say to steer clear from I have to begin by admitting that. Let me explain what I'm going to do. In your notes, you have a place there, and I think I worded it this way. I want you to hear everything I say before you do anything, okay? Because I want to save you maybe a little bit of... um, I wish I would have known that first. The blank says, write down the greatest temptation that you struggle with here. Now, I'm pretty sure that most of us would not do that no matter how hard I pushed on that idea. Like, Todd, ain't going to happen. I'm sitting next to my wife. Okay. Todd, not gonna do that. I'm sitting down the row from someone I respect, whatever it may be. Here's my point though. I don't need you to write it down. But I need you to think of what you would write down. One of the things that was so impressive to me, and I was sharing a little bit with our our team this week. I was where I was at last week was a men's retreat up in the mountains in Wrightwood and with a group of guys from a great church called Flipside Church. And one of the things I really tried to I uh, affirm in them because it's so very very unique. They I remember I, it's a unique situation I've been with them five years in a row at the same retreat And I keep telling them you need to find a better speaker. This is silly like move on And uh, but yet they keep inviting me and I keep going and it, it really ends up being so good And one of the things they do every saturday night like clockwork from about 10 30 to midnight Is we gather together? There's 115 guys in this room and they basically have guys come up and say here's an issue That men struggle with and and we go through literally probably like a dozen things Here's an issue men struggle with if you're struggling with that come up and sit on this chair In front of everybody And then they say and if you're doing well in this area because of growth and the fact that you're loving the things god loves Now come stand behind them And the men that come and stand behind never do in judgment. What they actually do is they pray for them Super powerful and I tell them there's very few people groups i've ever seen that do this so it's very unique and so i want i wanted them to understand that but what i want you to hear today is this the longer that you and i stay in the shadows and act like we are somehow not even uh engaged or not even have a problem with temptation in general the longer there's never going to be change the longer there's never going to be growth so if you want to write something in that blank, feel free. But if you don't want to, for a host of reasons, it takes time to build trust. I'm, I'm all about, we don't need to go A to Z today. I'm happy to go A to B. But even B in your mind recognizes, what would I write on that? And what I want you to do, whatever that source of temptation is, I want you to have that in your mind. And then as we walk through the sequence of this, of this example, I want you to see how this baits the hook for you. Okay, that's what I'm really most interested in. The examples could be this, things that you would maybe write in that line. Maybe it's this: every time I get caught, I speak a second language called lying. That's what I'm tempted to do. Every time that I know information about people that I shouldn't share with anyone else, I'm tempted to share it, and that's called gossip. Every time that I see an image that induces lust in my heart, I really keep thinking about it, dwelling on it, and that's kind of leading to pornographic thoughts. That's what I struggle with. Whatever your thing is, and by the way, you're tempted more than one thing. I just asked you to identify one, but whatever you would want to identify, identify that thing, have that in mind. And then let's look at the sequence. It says evil desire is the source. It's the root of the issue. I actually had someone catch me last service who is a Biola grad and said, you know, I was in class. They actually mentioned the word evil is actually absent in the Greek. And he was right. Really what that word is, it's literally translated desire. But I was telling him almost every single time that we find it in the new Testament, it's always negative. It's a desire that wants something God says no. That's basically the definition of the word. But it is something that leads to sin when we follow through with it. And it's that thing, it's that interest, it's that desire that is being appealed to, that is dragged away and enticed. The Greek word picture there is like baiting a hook in order to lure away the prey from shelter or a hiding place. Let me say that again, that's pretty good. Baiting a hook in order to lure away the prey from from a shelter or a hiding place i think about the fish that jackson and i caught that day they're just minding their own business doing their own thing and all of a sudden in drops this bait and all of a sudden it looked like lunch looked like a good deal and it lured them away from the rest of the um school yeah i was gonna say flock and herd those don't go with fish the hunter right here right the hunter Lure away from the school and all of a sudden they're all by themselves and all of a sudden lunch looks really appealing and boom, they're on the hook. Okay, so that sequence, that idea, that's exactly what the language is dragged away and enticed is a fishing term. I'm going to lure you away from where there is shelter into some new area where I'm going to get you. It's really important for us to know that. How often is it that we give in to temptation when we are lured away from the pack? when we are lured away from our families, when we are lured away from our friends, when we are lured away from our community, it's in that moment of being by ourselves that often we grab the hook. Really important to understand that. Today is not only the Super Bowl for professional football, it's actually the Super Bowl of marketing and advertising, right? You're going to see commercials today. I was doing the math. I found this out, that for every 30-second spot you see today during the game costs $5 million, now, that's not the cost of making the commercial. That's just the privilege of getting to put it on TV, okay? So $5 million for every 30-second spot. That's how it's going to go today. And, and, and I want you to understand this. The reason I even bring this up is it's very interesting that it lands on today. This is a huge day for marketing. This is a big day to either roll out a new product or just continue brand awareness or just kind of connect dots to, Hey, this is why you want this. But understand, don't miss this underlying everything related to marketing is this simple idea, creating within you a want, and then showing we have what you need. I'm going to create within you a desire. You didn't even know you had, you didn't know you needed that new car. You didn't know you needed that new product, that soft drink, that whatever. But the good news is I've got a way to fulfill that. Now, I'm not trying to demonize marketing. It's fine. It's it's just important to know what it is and what it's based on. And of all the Super Bowl ads that you're going to see today, this is one of them. Take a look. Nice. This stuff disappears in our house. Check this out. whoa check this out there's always king's hawaiian rolls inside irresistible king's hawaiian foods coming this spring barbecue sauce (laughs) so just one of many that you're going to see today and And I put that out there to say this, just being mindful that the idea that everything related to marketing is simply trying to awaken a need, awaken a want, and then show you how they can fulfill it. Interestingly enough, that's kind of what this passage is about today. I'm not trying to equate marketing with sin. I am trying to equate it, though, with temptation. And we'll get to that in a second, the difference between temptation and sin. By the way, really sorry, because like you, I really want a King's Hawaiian roll right now. So... (laughs) Sorry that that was a, a part of the problem. You're like, Todd, you're making it worse, bro. Don't do that. Um, look, look at the sequence. Look at it in your life. Here you are. You're, you're doing your thing. You're just doing life, right? And, and some sort of tempting situation, tempting thought, tempting something comes across the way. We talked about it. You're, you're in the shelter and the safety of the, of, the, of the group, and then all of a sudden kind of led out with that thing and that thing causes there to be a sense of, now that you have that tempting thought, tempting distraction, tempting opportunity, now all of a sudden are you going to wander out? I really appreciated one of our pastors up at High Desert Church, a guy named Kurt Thielen. Kurt shared with me kind of their parenting strategy, and I thought it was so wisely thought out. It was basically this idea, he would tell his kids, this is how it works with God. God says that there is the circle of blessing." And in this circle, there's a lot of room. There's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of good things because that's the nature of God. He is good and his love endures forever. Within that circle, you are free to to roam around. But it's when you cross that line, when you go out of the circle of that blessing, two problems are going to happen. Number one, you are going to find there are consequences there you didn't anticipate and they're always negative. They're devastating. But number two, it's going to require correction to bring you back. And he said, if that's how God relates to us, that's how we relate to you as your parents. You can live well within this circle of blessing. But when you cross out of it, know that the consequences are steep. They're devastating. And we'll correct you to hopefully bring you back in. That's a beautiful picture to me of of the problem. Really at the root, when you bore down today and we get past even the strategy of temptation, here's what we're all realizing. In my heart, I don't believe God is good. In this tempting moment, I'm disbelieving that his best and his design is really not my best because I like the shiny thing over here. If I can grab hold of that, if I can understand that idea, I think actually good things begin to happen because that's a great place to repent. God, forgive me for doubting your goodness. Forgive me for doubting that what you have in store for me really is the best thing. Now, I want, to, I want to change gears just a tad. I told you earlier today that this passage is not about Satan being the tempter. So the source of this quote is going to be a little confusing, but I want to help you understand why I'm using it. In his, to me, just epic of all the writings of C.S. Lewis, the screw tape letters to me just were this amazing um, creative genius of helping us understand as it were what the demonic mind is. Now, he would say it's a work of fiction, etc. Don't read too much into it, but man, the quote I'm going to share with you in just a moment is so profound and it makes so much sense as it were from the other side. So Screwtape letters is a letter or a book written by C.S. Lewis from Uncle Screwtape, okay, writing to his nephew Wormwood, who is a demon. These are two demons writing to each other or writing to the other. So in it It's obviously a reverse. So when you see things like our father or the enemy, it's the opposite of what you'd normally think. I'll edit as we go through, but listen to what he says. The reason I'm bringing this up to you is the understanding of desire, the understanding of pleasure. We misunderstand it. And that's part of the problem. He says this, never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are in a sense on the enemy's ground, the enemy being God. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it's his. It's God's invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. Watch this. All of our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is encourage the humans to take the pleasures which the enemy that God has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. You can have this, but not this way. Hence, we will always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure to that in which it is least natural, least redolent of its maker, and least pleasurable. Watch this quote. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. That's the formula for temptation. It is more certain and it's better style. To get the man's soul and give him nothing in return, that is what really gladdens our father Satan's heart. And watch this, and the troughs are the time for beginning the process. I think this quote is so powerful, and ever-increasing, or ever, you know, what is it? Let me read it. Uh, ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. You and I know, because of the hooks we've bitten into, that's exactly what temptation is. It's so well-worded. We tend to crave more and more this Thing that's a, a a perversion of god's design while all the time receiving less and less in return And he just summarizes that whole idea so well But go back to the idea of what god initially intended what god initially designed was something very pleasurable God is not opposed to pleasure. God is the author We've just miscued it in our brains it in our experiences one thing that I wanted to connect a dot, that last phrase of the quote said, and the troughs are the time for beginning the process. Going into this passage, I was a little bit confused about James's logic. We've been talking about pain, mostly from the outside, talking about the worth of enduring it, and all of a sudden we hit temptation. It seemed like sideways. How do we get here? And then I was reading this quote, and I thought, oh, that totally makes sense. Isn't it true that when we are at our lowest times when we are going through challenging circumstances from the outside, the trials, that we are most susceptible to temptation. That's exactly what that quote says throughout the book, Screwtape Letters. He consistently uses the word troughs as valleys, as times of trial and and challenge of times of thinking maybe God doesn't isn't there and doesn't care. So in the troughs, aren't we most susceptible? How many people do you know who's struggle with alcoholism, and that began around the idea of some incredible valley they were going through? How many times have you heard of a spouse's affair that was in the midst of great challenges they were experiencing apart from that? And how many times for you, have you in your mind been able to rationalize, this isn't that big a deal because of how painful my life is right now? You've done it, I've done it. And the quote really connects the dot. It quote really shows why James includes this in the sequence. We are most vulnerable to temptation when we are most in pain. So the reality is, is we need to be careful, especially through times of great challenge, that we don't, at the end of the day, make the situation even worse. Brings us to our third point today. The genealogy of your sinful desire births first sin and then death. The genealogy of your sinful desire births first sin and then death. Verse 15, then after, so after that drag away and entice thing goes on, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. James changes the word picture. Just a moment ago, he's using very kind of focused, obvious language about hunting terms. Now he's talking about birthing, like literally birthing children is the verb that he's using. And it's important for us to begin with this because I think this distinction sometimes is confusing for us. Watch this. Look in your notes. Temptation in and of itself is not sinful. Temptation in and of itself is not sinful. Only when it's acted upon does sin take place. I don't know if you've thought that through very well or or considered that, but sometimes... Even back to the the list that you wrote down the reason why if you wouldn't have written down something today Because it was embarrassing to you or you didn't want to put it out there It wasn't because you're tempted to do that. It's embarrassing because you give in To be tempted by something is not the problem. It's what I do with the temptation. That's the problem And that's what I have to process because sin is always related to a choice Sin is always related to a choice that I volitionally make to say, God, I know this is your design for me, but I'm going to do X instead. That's when sin happens. For instance, you could be tempted to gossip when you hear really juicy information about someone's life, but sin happens when you share it. You could be tempted to give in to to, to lie about a situation when you get caught, but it's when you start speaking that sin really happens when you start lying. You could be tempted to have problems with pornographic, lustful thoughts. But I want you to hear this. Track with us for a minute. To have a glancing thought, to have an image that comes across your radar is not in and of itself sinful. Remember, I was a youth pastor for 10 years, so students sitting down here, this is what I tell students all the time. The, the, the issue isn't necessarily the first look, it's the second. So what would young men do? They take a really long first look. That's not what we're talking about. So so to be tempted with something in and of itself is not the sinful thing. It's what I do with the temptation that invokes sin. And this passage says it so clearly. Your own latent desire for something apart from God is what gets baited, what gets brought out. But it's when you bite on the hook that sin begins. It's always a willful choice. And the great news is about that. Some of us think that just because we've been tempted by something, we've already sinned and the the battle's over. I want you to hear that's not true. Can you remember, by the way, the fact that Jesus was tempted? Hebrews, but he was without sin. Tempting is not the problem. It's what we do with the temptation. And then it says sin when it's full grown, when it kind of has this sense of gestation, it gives birth to death. I was thinking about that. What kind of death does James mean? I was thinking about, was it physical death? When you get baited to give in to sin, to be tempted, and then you give in, do you die? Well, if that were true, we'd be talking to a lot of corpses today, and one on the stage too. So I don't think it's that physical death per se. And and then you could ask, well, is it a spiritual death? And I go, but James is writing to believers, writing to followers of Jesus spread out all over the world. I, I don't think in any way he means to infer that we get tempted, we sin, and we're no longer God's kids. I don't think that's the impression at all either. I think instead, Chuck Swindoll, in his commentary, he, he really connects the dots well because he talks about a death-like existence. Listen to what he says. This death-like existence is the opposite of the abundant life that Christ promised from John 10.10. 10. No longer can the sinner walking in death live out the true life in the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the evidences of God living through your life. For those walking in death, gone are the signs of spiritual vitality. Watch this image. Like fading memories of estranged friends. That's the kind of death that James had in mind. And I think that really connects the dot well. That kind of distance, that kind of departure from a connected walk with the Lord, that's the death that gets developed through giving into sin. Again, one more time from Screwtape Letters because this does such a good job of helping us understand what's the point. See, I want you to catch this. I forgot to say this first service, but I want you to catch this today. If the whole goal of the Christian life, if the whole goal of the follower of Jesus is to stop sinning, this message is loaded with disappointment and discouragement today. But I want you to hear very clearly from me that the whole goal of following Jesus is following Jesus. Jesus. And in the midst of walking step-by-step, yes, Jesus is our perfect example. Yes, Jesus did not sin. But one thing we know along the way is forgiveness. One thing we know along the way is grace and redemption. So the goal of the Christian life is not to keep our moral nose clean and never sin. I'm telling you, that's something you'll never experience on this side of heaven. But instead, if our goal is to live on mission and follow Jesus, this is a part of the equation and hopefully a part that we're growing in and we're seeing less and less giving in and more and more following the heartbeat of God. From an uncle to a nephew in a um, demon, this is what he says. You will say that these are very small sins and doubtless like all young tempters talking to a young demon. You are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. That's great. It's kind of like I want to see someone completely devastate their life in one swell, fell swoop. He says it's different though, but do remember, watch this. The only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. That's the goal of temptation. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Watch this. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. That's a powerful line. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Separation from God is the goal of temptation. Ultimately, it does lead to a kind of death, but our goal is to say, God, help me love the things you love. Just by wrapping it up, two things not even related to our text, but I wanted to give you some walking points today. Number one, we said earlier, Jesus was tempted. Interestingly enough, doesn't have the same sinful nature we have. Right? doesn't have that bentedness away from God. So then you say, well, how effective could temptation be? Well, he was tempted by Satan himself. You and I have never experienced that kind of face-to-face temptation. And the thing I want to bring to light is this. Every time Jesus was tempted to do something apart from the will of God, what was his answer? The word of God says. The word of God says. The word of God says. Growing in a rich understanding and value of the word of God is something that will, that can provide an opportunity to be able to make a better decision in the midst of temptation. Wiersbe said it well. He said, when you know the Bible, you can detect the bait and deal with it decisively. Watch that. You can. I've known a lot of people who know their Bibles backwards and forwards, and it doesn't mean they do, but it means you can. It's a great ally, a great tool for us to engage. Secondly, be mindful that in the midst of temptation, God is present. And he hasn't abandoned you, but provides ways for your escape to help you swim away, as it were, when temptation comes. And we said that's the hardest part. Temptation lures you away, not only from the community, but even thinking that God is watching and that he's involved. Last passage, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what's common to mankind, meaning we all struggle with similar things. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, watch, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So that you can swim away. It brings us back to where we started today. Be aware that it's your own evil desires, not God, that tempt you and the best response to them is to swim away. Let's pray. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it provides. We even see it today, how true in our own experiences is this sequence of temptation. So on the one hand, it's not new information, but on the other hand, it's very enlightening to understand the source of where this comes from. And God, our prayer would be not just a clinical understanding of what temptation is, but God, our prayer would be for change. Our prayer would be that we would begin to love the things you love. We have a heart problem. We need discipline we need all those things, but God, we have a heart problem at our core. We don't love the things you love. So this week within us, as you are rooting that out, as you are bringing that to light, God, also remind us when temptation comes across our path, help us always be mindful that there's a hook in the bait. It's not what it pretends to be. You may be here today and you would say, Todd, I, um, I have only kind of walked this road. I don't know what it means to deny or resist temptation because I'm not a follower of Jesus yet and this is just my life. When I ask you, how's that going for you? Why not? Why not today say, you know what? God, I need a change. I need to have a relationship with you. I need to have the power to stop living in this death spiral. And the great news is that you can make that decision. Begins by admitting that you're a sinner, admitting that there is that internal problem that wants the things that God hates. Believing that Jesus, this God-man that we mentioned at the end of the message today, he came and lived a sinless life. He died a sacrificial death. He was raised supernaturally on the third day. Believe he's the only savior available and see his choose. Choose today to say, Jesus, I want to follow your way. I want to walk your path. I give myself to you. You can make that decision even where you sit right now. And that'd be such my encouragement to you today. Father, we love you. Thank you for your grace and your patience with us. And thank you indeed that through you, we are more than conquerors. Amen.